Good news, everybody. We're going to do a giving message today. Come on. Give it up for giving. If you're new here, welcome. We're doing a giving message today. I'm going to tell you why I think you should give to our church. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, if, who was here last week? How many people? Okay, good. So last week we talked a little bit, and we said, uh, I said, I wanted you to invest in this church. Why are we talking about investment so much right now? Um, because it's epiphany season, and epiphany is when we celebrate. And honestly, right now is a time to celebrate our church. Our church is growing uh, like we've never grown before, which is a good thing. So it's a perfect time to invest by uh, uh, volunteering on Sunday mornings. That's a big deal. I talked about how we can volunteer and give to our partner organizations. We just heard from Nomi Network. Again, a good thing to do. This is how we live out our vision um, of making sure we serve our city and bringing peace to our city, right? Um, and then today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about giving Specifically, this word tithing. Y'all love that word? <laughs> I heard a lot of, mm. Okay. Uh, I get it. Churches, uh, it, it's hard to give to churches. I, I, I sort of understand that there's a lot of mistrust. Uh, there's churches out there that are, are mismanaging funds. Some people are sitting here right now and you're going, you know what, if I give, uh, will Jonathan misappropriate those funds as well? Will he go out and buy a private jet? Um, and the answer is unequivocally yes. I will. I will do that. Um, no, I won't. No. Um, but it's tough, right? And so I want to talk about why I think giving can be a challenge to some of us sometimes. And I want to I do that by talking about taxes. Now, this message just got a whole lot better, didn't it? How many people love taxes? <laughs> of course, there's always one. Um, yeah, taxes, uh, you know, they're not something we love. But what's interesting to me, and I find this interesting, is there's a biblical, uh, I, I, argument's not the word, but, but I guess a biblical precedent for taxes, and I want to talk about that. So I want to talk about Israel, and I want to talk about what happened to Israel. Israel was freed from slavery. They were freed from slavery in Egypt, and about 2 million people, probably right around that number, uh, they're free, and what do they start doing? Y'all know? You can just shout it out if you know. Okay, they all start wandering. Okay, they're wandering through the desert, and, uh, and they're kind of aimless, they're a little bit lost, and, and basically they're like, you know, I think God wants us to build a really mighty nation. That's what I think our, our God wants us to do. I think our God wants us to be free, right? I think our God wants us to be strong, and if God wants us to be those things, well, then we got to set a few rules. we got to put some things in place so that we are free, so that we don't fall back into slavery. And so what we get are the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many people love those books? No? They are possibly some of the most boring books you'll ever read. But they're super interesting all at the same time when we look at context and culture. So what those books are, those books are, are, are you know, what they think they hear, they're hearing from God. And what they're hearing God say is, if you want to be free, if you want to be strong, if you want to be mighty, here's what you can do. We talked about one of those things last week. We talked about circumcision. I don't want to talk about that again this week, so we're going to move on. And so what they say is this, all right? Uh, uh, so you get these verses that are in um, those, those, uh, those books. Every tithe of herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. What are they saying here? 
basically what they're saying is they're saying, hey, you are going to give a tenth of your property, which in general are animals, right? You're going to give a tenth of that property, and you're going to give it to be sacrificed. Why are you going to give it to be sacrificed? Well, number one, what that's going to do is it's going to atone for your sins. God sees you as good. Now, the second thing that does is you're giving it to the priest or the Levite. Now, that priest or Levite was not allowed to have any animals of their own. They weren't allowed to grow anything. They were dependent on the people. But the priest and Levite had two jobs. The priest and Levite are the same. They had two jobs. Job number one, to take care of the spiritual needs of the community, but to also take care of the social needs of the community. So you're kind of talking about the person who's governing your tribe, okay? So give 10% to the people who are governing, right? We get that? That's familiar to us, right? Yeah, sort of. Then we get this one. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your freewill offerings, and your firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God and your families you shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. This just keeps getting more interesting, doesn't it? What are they talking about here? They're saying we also want you to give 10%. And we want you to give that 10% to parties. That's fun, right? Now, when I first started thinking about this, I was like, now why? Like, that, that seems weird. And I started thinking about us as New Yorkers. We pay taxes. And our taxes go to, you know, think of 4th of July, fireworks over the East River, the infrastructure that has to happen. We pay for that, right? We pay for every parade that goes down Fifth Avenue. We're paying for that. So it makes sense to me. I'm like, okay. Uh, just like they paid for celebrations, parties, remembrances, so do we. All right? And then we get the third one uh, that is interesting to me. It says, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce, in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Oh my gosh, it's the biggest no-brainer ever. If you want to be good and you want to be free and you want to be big, take care of the people that have less than you. It's not that hard, right? And that's it. So let's rewind. A tenth to your priest, right, who's sort of governing spiritually, socially. A tenth to parties. A tenth to the poor, right? What is that? It's about 30%. Now, you don't need to tell me this, but about what do you pay in your taxes? You don't need to tell me. All right, we get an idea of what's happening here. God says, for freedom to take place, I want you to give. And then we get the rest of the Old Testament where Israel's trying to become a mighty nation. And the truth is, they hate this. They don't like it one bit. In fact, we see throughout Scripture where uh, people will say it's the year of Jubilee, they shouldn't have to pay their taxes. And other people are saying, no, they should pay taxes. Because if I have to pay taxes, then you have to pay taxes. Right? And we sort of hear that in our own lives. In fact, I said that to somebody yesterday. I didn't. But you get it. Why don't we like to pay taxes? Why, if this is what God says is making us free, why don't we like to do it? I'll tell you why we don't like to do it. We do not like preventative giving. I'll say it again. We do not like preventative giving. What is preventative giving? In order for me to talk about preventative giving, I want to talk about intervention giving. Okay? Intervention giving is the giving that we love. Intervention giving is giving that meets an immediate need. That's what intervention giving is. It meets an immediate need. And what intervention giving does is, is once we give to it, uh, we can see the result of it. Therefore, we can measure it. Right? We can measure intervention giving. Now, intervention giving happens in a number of ways. Um, we hear that children are being abused. And we want to rescue those children from abuse. What do we do? We give to that. And what we can say is, look, 
the fact that I gave to this, the result is that these children are no longer being abused. It's a good thing. Now, I want you to know real quick that intervention giving is not a bad thing. I am not knocking it. I'm just saying it's different than preventative giving. Uh, intervention giving, uh, our friend gets into a car accident. They don't have money to pay their medical bills. We're like, okay, we're going to rally around our friend. We're going to take a collection. We're going to help them pay their medical bills. We can see the result of that. Our friend now can pay their medical bills. They can get that surgery, whatever it is they needed from this car accident. We see the result. We can measure intervention giving. Hurricanes, disasters, those kinds of things, same thing. We're really good at coming together and giving, and we can measure that. We see it. It meets an expectation. I gave money, and because I gave money, this person now has a chance to get their house back to normal, back to the way it was. This is intervention giving. And in fact, intervention giving is so powerful that this is what it does. I want to read uh, uh, from uh, a scientist named Stephen G. Post. He says, giving doles out several different happiness chemicals, including dopamine, endorphins that give people a sense of euphoria and oxytocin, which is associated with tranquility, serenity, or inner peace. Numerous studies have shown that giving with purpose can significantly lessen symptoms of depression and stress. And according to the study reported in the Journal of Health and Psychology, giving can lengthen your life by 63% compared to others who don't practice it. Wow. So giving, especially when we're doing intervention-style giving, actually does something to our bodies. It changes the way our brains operate. In fact, it hits the same pleasure centers as when we are at a concert that we love. Or, you know, I don't know, have a couple beers, whatever the case may be, right? It hits those same pleasure centers and we feel good. Right? Like, like today, sunny outside. We feel good, right? Those are the dopamine being released. Intervention giving does the same thing. And it does the same thing to the point where we live longer when we do it. That's why we love it so much. And that's why we don't like to give preventatively. What's preventative giving? It's methodical. It's well planned out. It's consistent. It is terribly boring. Because what we're saying is we're going to give to something to create uh, an atmosphere, to create an environment where there are no interventions. And so immediately our minds are going, wait, no interventions? How am I going to get that, that emotional fix? How is that dopamine going to go to my head? How am I going to do, uh, how am I going to live 63% longer? And all the other things. I'm not, I can't measure this exactly. Boring, methodical, consistent, and I will argue superior to intervention giving. Now, like I said, intervention giving is good. There's a time and a place for it. But let me ask you this question. Would you rather give to rescue a child who has been abused? Or would you rather give to prevent a child from ever being abused in the first place? What would you rather do? Well, the answer is you'd rather prevent this child from being abused in the first place. That's what you'd rather do. But studies show we don't do that. We don't like preventative giving. We like to feel it in our brains when we give. Uh, your friend comes to you and your friend says, hey, I'm having trouble with, with uh, money right now. I need my brakes fixed. Can you help me uh, get my, my brakes repaired? In general, studies will show that we say, no, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But two days later, when they call us and say, my brakes failed, I got into an accident, I'm in the hospital, can you help me? We're like, yes, I'll help you right now, what do you need? Now, I think we all can agree, we didn't want our friend to get into an accident in the first place, right? But we were like, that's preventative. And frankly, we can't measure preventative giving. We can't say, my giving stopped my friend from getting in an accident. We don't know, right? All we can say is maybe it did. We've created an atmosphere for success, but we don't know there was actual success. Now, for the most part, New York City, 
Um, it does well when there's snow, for the most part. And what do they do? Well, when there's a snowstorm, we know that there's going to be sand and salt in the roads. Usually within 24 hours, our major roads are clear, right? Or at least drivable, right? That, that's, we, can, we, we give towards that. We give to make that the case. And we don't like giving to that. What we would rather have happen is we'd rather hear on the news, there are 38 people stranded on the BQE and their lives are in peril. And we need people to go out and help them. And we're like, okay. And we do that. Instead of going, well, I think my giving stopped. I don't know how many people would stop from getting stuck on the highway, but the highway is clear now. Not nearly as exciting, but far superior. Am I right? See, the thing is, this even goes beyond money. We live our lives in ways where we love intervention. We love it. We don't like prevention. So, for instance, we go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know you could have prevented yourself from having to be here. Doctor ever say that to any of you? Good. Last, last, first service, it was just me. I was like, just me. <laughs> right? Doctor's like, you could have exercised, you could have eaten better, you could have paid attention to that tingle in your left arm. You could have done all that, right? But we're like, nah, now we're here and we're sick, so give me the thing that I need to get better. Intervention giving, we like it. And I hesitate to bring this up, but I'm more than happy to talk with anybody about it. I think part of our abortion controversy has to do with intervention and prevention. That's true. That's why we have it, right? And again, I'm more than happy to chat with you about it because I love talking about controversial things. <laughs> so yeah, so that's where we are. And so we're not going to get the same dopamine fix and we're not going to live 63% longer and we're not going to be able to measure how many people we affect. But the thing that I want us to do and the thing I want to challenge each of you to do today is I want to challenge you to start preventative giving for our church community. It is boring. It is methodical, it is consistent, and it makes all the difference in the world. I give to this church. I started giving to this church when we started six and a half years ago, uh, and I haven't stopped. And this church has changed my life in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, when my dad came out, that was a really tough time for me, and those of you who knew about it came around me, surrounded me, you loved me, gave me security. That was life-changing. Um, pastors always preach out of their woundedness, I tell everybody, and I was wounded, and still am in some ways. I came in with a lot of Christian fundamentalist baggage. Anybody else have that baggage here? Thank you. We're not alone. We're not alone. And uh, what this church did is it gave me a safe space to work out that baggage, a safe space to, to understand that, that there was a God who did love me that wasn't going to send me to hell. He gave me that space. And then I started reading the Bible, and I was like, oh my gosh, in the culture and context, I've been reading this thing completely wrong, and I need to tell the church about it. And y'all didn't panic, and you didn't run away. A couple times people said, Jonathan, that felt a little heretical, but I'll see you next week. <laughs> and you created space, and you gave me space to deconstruct some old things and to reconstruct some of the new. Now, here's the thing. I didn't walk in here in crisis. I didn't walk in here where everybody was like, oh my gosh, this person's in crisis, we got to help right now, everybody get on board. No, what happened is our preventative giving created a space where this was possible, where it was already possible for me to deconstruct and reconstruct, where it was already possible for me to feel loved in the midst of a fractured relationship, where it was already possible for me to, to say, you know what, I can read the Bible with new lenses because it says in our tagline, we ask better questions rather than having right answers, right? The space was already created for that. And so the question becomes um, not, oh my gosh, we helped 128 people who are just like Jonathan because now they feel like they can deconstruct and reconstruct. They can 
men fractured relationships. They can, you know, they can lose some of their fundamentalist baggage. The truth is we don't know. We'll never know. But what we can say is that our giving creates space for anyone who walks through those doors to be healed, to be changed, to be renewed, to hear good news. That's what preventative giving does. I have kids. Anybody else have kids? Yep. Y'all sit over here, too. (laughs) Our children's ministry is growing like wildfire right now. It's amazing. You know what my kids aren't afraid of? My kids are not afraid of God. That's a huge deal, because I grew up being really afraid of God, that God was going to hurt me, send me to hell. You know what else my kids aren't afraid of? Hell. You know why? Because our kid stuff teachers and volunteers are doing incredible, incredible work to teach our kids about real good news. Not the where you're going to go when you die good news, but the good news that they're loved and affirmed and made perfectly in the image of God. Good news. Where are my kids stuff volunteers? Just raise your hand right quick. Y'all, thank you. Thank you. 